like to welcome to the podcast today, Matthew McClintock. Matthew T. McClintock. I like how the T is always yeah, there. It's going to be official. I always use my E. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, Matt lives in Evergreen, Colorado. He just, you know, up and moved here from Oklahoma. Um, and focuses on the areas of estate planning, long-term trust design, and implementation. These are lots of big words, Matthew. Business, startup, and transition, and domestic and international asset protection. We're going to ask you what all these words mean. He has a special interest in emerging technologies, blockchain development, and cryptocurrency adoption, which I want to talk about too, and is involved in de developing legislation and legal solutions for leaders and disrupt disruptive tech companies. Matt is a frequent presenter and author, usually in those areas of law and their impact on individuals, families, and businesses. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm yeah. so excited. Um, so my favorite question to ask everybody is what was your first job and what did you want to be oh, when you wow. grew up? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll answer those in reverse order. The, okay. the one that I wanted to be growing up, of course, was a race car driver because oh. every boy wants to be a race car driver. And I'm... I've always been a car guy anyway. Um, my first job, um, very few people, I, I don't share this with most people, but um, I guess for all posterity to know now, yeah. I was a mascot for a local radio station in Seminole, Oklahoma. I love that. It was called K-Bird. And I had this, and I saw it was like 12, You're 11, bird, something like that. You? It was a huge bird, yeah. <laughs> And so my job was, and I couldn't speak because I had a little bitty squeaky voice back mm -hmm. then. And it's a mascot. Those don't talk. And so I would dress up in this ridiculously huge head to toe bird costume. <laughs> and I would drive around in a little go-kart in, <laughs> in grocery stores and stuff like that. While my dad, who worked for the radio station, would do a, you know, kind of like those on-site radio mm -hmm. promo deals. So it was, yeah, that was my first job. That is hilarious. So as a kid, you know, 11, 12 years old, growing up in a small town in the, this would be early eighties, mm -hmm. 50 bucks a gig. That's not bad. That's actually pretty good. That's pretty, pretty sweet. It's yeah. So babysitting, which is why oh, I yeah, did. Dude, no way. Yeah. <laughs> that is hilarious. I'll do OPK. So, so you didn't want to do that. You didn't want to be a mascot for the rest of no, career. it. Um, Were you a mascot any other time? I was, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I need to hear about all the mascots. Yeah, so kids. I'm trying. I can't. I don't remember what the next one was. I only did it a couple of times because I remembered, again, this was rural Oklahoma. And if you can imagine summertime in mm -hmm. rural Oklahoma in a full body bird suit, that is a pretty short lived gig. <laughs> so um, I did that a few times. And I think I had another mascotting gig. And then I decided I'm just getting hot boxed every time I. <laughs> go to work so i just uh yeah I, I think my next gig was bagging groceries at the grocery store so that was uh i, I just tried to get out of that mascot gig as soon as I'm i could i'm really really sad that you left the mascot i know gig i now. know <laughs> well you know it's it's one of those things oh my gosh that is so funny i'm so happy to ask that question <laughs> now you're a brilliant estate lawyer <laughs> mascot to brilliant estate lawyer well you gotta start somewhere <laughs> Hope, <laughs> beginnings right right <laughs> So how did you become an estate lawyer? Is that something you just chose or something that happened? I kind of fell into it. Um, so I, uh, my undergraduate degree was in political science, um, which means that you're going to get a graduate degree yeah, somewhere. Yeah, you it's, don't, yeah, it's a useless that's undergraduate your degree. So, so you have to become kids a listening at home don't get a poli-sci degree um, <laughs> unless you want to go to grad school. So um, graduated college in 94, got on a campaign in uh 
to for the governor's office. I was working for a gubernatorial campaign in mm -hmm. Oklahoma. Turned about turned out to be really successful, and so I that kind of got me embarked on a on a career that I thought was going to take me into policymaking. Okay. I envisioned myself not really being a candidate for mm -hmm. office, but being a policy guy. And I aspired to go into Washington and all that kind of stuff. And a mentor told me that I need to get an advanced degree if you really want to be taken seriously mm -hmm. in Washington. So I started law school really with no intention of ever practicing, um, but to go into politics. And you know, three years later, it was time to graduate from law school. And I really had no interest in going back into politics. In the interim, while I was still at, in law school, I started working for a small estate planning boutique firm in Oklahoma City. And um, that job and a series of classes I had around tax mm -hmm. made me want to focus my career on helping people pay the least amount of tax they have, they have to pay mm -hmm. and protect their stuff. And so that's what took me into estate planning. And uh, it, it just was kind of one of those things I, I backed into it during law school mm -hmm. and really enjoyed it. But okay. it's, it's, for the last almost 20 years, that's the only law I've ever practiced. Right. So you worked for Wealth Council for a really long time. Yeah, 11 years. In lots of different areas there. So yeah. did that? So that was that was a huge piece of education. Like oh, you sure. Ran the education departments, right? Yeah. So I, I was in practice in Oklahoma City from 2000 to 2006, um, really doing just estate planning and some business formation, business planning, mm -hmm. but just really limited to the scope of Oklahoma. And got to know Oklahoma law really well because I, I just kind of geek out That's on that stuff. You yes, you do. Yeah. yeah, so I just do that. But then I went to work for this company called Wealth Council that is responsible for providing document assembly software mm -hmm. and uh, continuing legal education for okay. estate planning attorneys. And it's a national organization. They've got people in every state. Um, now it's about 5,000 attorneys across the U.S., so it's a big, mm -hmm. it's a big group. And um, off and on, yeah, I served as uh, on the executive team. I was CEO for a while. Mm -hmm. um, then I took, uh, then we brought in an outside CEO to help grow the company more rapidly, and I stepped into uh, an education role. And so I was the executive over all of the education. And so, you know, running a national organization for estate planning attorneys. And especially running the education for those folks, you've got to not only understand the law that you grew up doing, mm -hmm. but you have to understand how that ties together with a bunch of other laws. And so that got me exposed to really understanding um, advanced trust laws and asset protection laws and business laws of a bunch of different jurisdictions, not just the jurisdiction that you happen to be in. Mm -hmm. So it got me what I think is a pretty strategic advantage of knowing where the opportunities are and... Um, and kind of finding the best laws to apply to a certain situation. Yeah, I find it very interesting because most of the lawyers I don't, I know, don't really practice outside of whatever their jurisdiction is. Mm -hmm. um, but you like cross border all the time. Oh, yeah. You're like, let's go to Nevada, let's go to Wyoming, let's mm -hmm. go to Colorado because it's out, it's advantageous for the for the business owner or for the estate yeah. plan. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that um, you. That, that choice of law is usually something you can just opt into when you either form a trust or you form a company. Mm -hmm. It's you have to you have to meet all the requirements to actually have your company administered under that law mm -hmm. or your trust administered under that law. But that's fairly straightforward. The trick is knowing which laws to choose mm -hmm. and why. So I'm licensed here in Colorado, in Wyoming and in Alaska. And I chose Wyoming and Alaska because they've got some really interesting trust laws and LLC laws. Um, in a few years, once I've been um, kind of get a little bit more, um, a little bit more distance under my my practice, 
I'm probably going to admit into South Dakota as well, because again, they've just got some really interesting laws up there that, that you can opt into. And I think you're right. I think most, most lawyers, and it's, it's true about every practitioner. I think mm-hmm. you kind of get these blinders on and you think, well, I'm licensed in whatever state mm-hmm. I just, that's the state I know, that's the state I do, and so that's the answer. You know, it's it's kind of that adage to the man with the hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. Um, I, I, I say, well, you know, I've got a hammer, I've got a screwdriver, right. I've got a wrench, you know, it's, yeah. what do we need to do? Yeah, it's very interesting to me a lot of the time, um, because, that, because I practice mostly in Colorado with mm-hmm. Colorado tax returns, um, but anytime I have to go to another state, Colorado's so easy. Mm-hmm. And it just blows people's mind, I think, a lot of the time that all these other states are really more complicated. Um, you know, they have a lot more different. They have more laws. They have more credits. They have more things that we just are like, it's 4.63%. Like, yeah. let's just well, move that, on with our lives. The flat tax rate certainly makes it pretty easy as far as that goes. But then in the context of passive and non-passive, Colorado source and non-source, mm-hmm. it gets really tricky, especially for some of the advanced planning strategies that Absolutely. we end up doing. So it's, you, you know... You got you to gotta know your own law really well, in addition to knowing where the opportunities in other jurisdictions lie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, as a result, we, we do a lot of offshore stuff too, for people who really want the absolute high point of protection. Mm-hmm. It's really complicated. And as a result, it's really expensive. And the <laughs> compliance is a nightmare for a lot of people. I know. But um, for, a lo- for a lot of clients, especially really high net worth clients, people who've got a lot to protect, it's worth going through the exercise of protecting that because it's you know you can't often have simplicity and protection at the same time those don't work together they don't no i tell people all the time like compliance is huge Mm -hmm. even just like with payroll taxes i have clients all the time who think they can just do payroll and i'm like do you know all the client like do you know all the compliance pieces to that do you because if you don't and you probably shouldn't because that's not what you do right yeah if you know that stuff really well, you there's you're probably missing opportunities in your business. Yeah, yeah, you're missing something else to spend your time on, probably. Mm-hmm. Right. So after working for Wealth Council for mm-hmm. what almost a decade? A little over a decade, right? almost eleven years. You decided to become a business owner yourself. I did. And yeah. Now you have four, three, four of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got I've got two that I really care about. Um, so the the main one is the law practice, Evergreen yeah. Legacy Planning. Um, Which started last year. Started uh, almost 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. Yep, it was May of 17. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got, I mean, I'm, our main office is in Evergreen where I live and my law partner lives, but my law partner is also a California lawyer and um, he spends quite a bit of time out in Southern California as well. So we've got a Newport Beach office mm-hmm. also, um, which again is fun with California source income. Yeah, that's real fun for me as an anti-stem. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, we get great clients out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, he's got a really well-established network of um, advisors that send us business, so it's you know it's, it's hard to turn that that business away. But the law practice um, really focuses on advanced, complex problems, and we we like to say that we like to solve the stuff other people either don't know how to solve or don't want to mess with solving. Mm-hmm. We like weird stuff, um, which is why we get into clients who've got a lot of different asset holdings. That's uh, what got me into cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Which... <laughs> I feel like it was like a year ago. You're like, what do you know about blockchain, Jamie? And now you're speaking on blockchain. Yeah, it was actually November of 17. That's so about it's that right. new, yeah. yeah. Um, but business owners, international clients, non-US persons, I mean, the kind of stuff that your garden variety 
the state planning attorney just doesn't know what to do with. Mm -hmm. And um, we don't see a lot of that in the context of volume, mm -hmm. but in the, in the context of what we spend our time doing, that's it. I mean, oh, higher, higher level. Yeah, complex stuff. I mean, it's we get uh, all of our clients come to us. Well, most of our clients, anyway, come to us either from other estate planning attorneys or business lawyers mm -hmm. who have a client that they don't know what to do with. Mm -hmm. um, or they come from CPAs, they come from financial advisors, some other professional who's got a client with some some weirdness that needs a legal solution for, and that's when we get called in. Um, and we do get a fair number of uh, kind of organic hits to our website just because we talk about weird stuff on here. We specifically mention, yes, you can pay us with Bitcoin. <laughs> yes, we do cryptocurrency. Yes, we do international tax. Mm -hmm. So it's um, you. It's kind of a niche at it, this point oh, for it's you guys. A, it's, a, it's a very deep, very narrow niche. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love, so like, like we were talking about, so I want to talk about like the blockchain and what you're seeing mm -hmm. and cryptocurrencies because everybody's, you know, that's the thing right yeah. right now. Um, but it is funny that like not even a year ago, you're like, Jamie, what do we, you know, let's talk about blockchain. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay. And I start reading about blockchain. I'm like, oh, this is fascinating. And yeah. then like, you know, everything about it. Well, no, you're I, speaking on no it. But I'm definitely speaking about it. It's, you know, you, you get the idiot in the room who's going to talk about anything. Is but. that... Is that a personality trait of yours to like to just laser focus on something and learn as much as you can about it? I, or do you have a trick that you can teach us about? Oh, I, I, I wish, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know that I've got a trick. I, um, when I find something interesting, mm -hmm. I want to learn it really deeply inside and out. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's a character trait or a character flaw. <laughs> no, I would um, say that's probably a positive. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do this with not with everything, but things I find really interesting, I want to understand them as deeply as I can. I do this mm -hmm. on, I do this on spiritual things. Mm -hmm. I do this on, um, on sports that I care deeply about. I'm on, a cyclist. On bikes. Yeah, I'm a cyclist, and so I, I <laughs> learned that deeply. Mm -hmm. And um, I got dragged into the crypto rabbit hole um, by a client who's a very high net worth client. They were an early doc early adopter, got into Bitcoin very early. They've had some successful businesses that were kind of in that mm -hmm. space. And again, this was a client that came to us through another estate planning attorney. Who was just like, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, she she knew a bit about cryptocurrencies, mm -hmm. but this guy had has almost $200 million worth of wealth. Um, and about 20 to 25 million of that was in Bitcoin. And highly appreciated so he's got a lot of uh, unrecognized capital okay. gains inside those crypto assets and um they were looking you know he and his family were looking for privacy asset protection tax mitigation all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff the kind of stuff that we do mm -hmm. but um the referring attorney said and so he's he's kind of this known character in the bitcoin world and i said oh bitcoin so the only thing i knew about it at the time were the negative headlines, mm -hmm. you know, Dread Pirate Roberts and the Silk Road mm -hmm. and human trafficking and arms dealing and drug sales and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And so I said, well, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that I want to touch that because I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. um, but I said, you know, I'll, I'll keep an open mind um, and we just kind of do some research. And so I Googled this person's name and, and watched, kind of found some information about them and everything looked like it checked out, like they were a mm -hmm. legitimate person no allegations against this person that I could find anywhere. 
Uh, and then I started watching documentaries on Bitcoin. I started reading books on it. I started listening to podcasts on, on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And so this was November of 17 mm -hmm. when Bitcoin was really rising rapidly yes. and the cryptocurrency market cap was exploding. At, at one point, it hit over 600 billion in market cap by the end of the fourth quarter of 2017. And so there's this great enthusiasm, not only around Bitcoin, but around this whole world of altcoins or alternative mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies. And um, so there's a lot of buzz around it. There's a lot to read. A lot to read on it. Um, and so it's just, it, for me, it just kind of spiraled. And before long, you know, it's, I felt like, uh, I felt like Neo in the Matrix. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like a, you, you take the red pill or the blue pill. Right. And I took the red pill. And yeah, uh, it just, and here I am. So that got me down the, it got me down the road of investing in Bitcoin, mm -hmm. experimenting with other, um, kind of exploring and starting to experiment with other crypto assets. Um, and then learning about the, the ethos mm -hmm. behind Bitcoin, well beyond just the, the investment grade quality mm -hmm. of it. Um, so I, I, I got to where I really don't care as much about what's going on with cryptocurrencies nationally mm -hmm. as much as I do about it globally. Right. And so I think that's a that's a really interesting interesting opportunity. Yeah. So you're speaking on how this is going to change businesses and law. Um, yeah. Can you just give us a high level on you know what what you what you're thinking is going to happen? What sure. we're going to probably be seeing with um, cryptocurrencies or altcoins. Yeah. Well. I think um, the vast majority of altcoins are already kind of siphoning out of the market because there was a lot of the altcoins benefited from the halo effect that the growth in Bitcoin mm -hmm. had. And there's a lot of speculation on what caused the original bubble to grow and mm -hmm. pop. And then now it's kind of wrestling with what it's going to do next. But a lot of those altcoins rode the wave that that created and they're just speculative they're crap they're gonna they're gonna go by the wayside um there will be a few cryptocurrencies that will remain i have no idea which ones they are Bail. but uh, yeah they, they serve kind of different purposes but the broader application of the technology on which cryptocurrency relies as blockchain technology is a is a very interesting concept that i think has the possibility to transform virtually any industry that relies heavily on on data integrity and right. the transmission of that data in a trust in a trustless but um, easily validated way. And so mm -hmm. let me that sounds like a mouthful. So let me kind of break that down. Bring it down bit. to us for yeah, us so, third grade level. Come on, Matt. Yeah. So <laughs> I want I want to start by a very quick description of the way I the way I view blockchain. What how I that would, would be helpful. how I describe blockchain technology. Um, and you got to bear in mind I'm not a tech guy. I'm just a lawyer. Me neither. But in a traditional model, you've got a central server, right. your AWS server, your Google server, whatever, you got a central server. Mm -hmm. And then you've got all these calls for data against the server. So you've got these users who are transmitting data to each other through a centralized server. Mm -hmm. And that central server creates a, a choke point and also creates a weak link in the chain of data. Because if the server goes down your SOL. If the server goes down your SOL, if that server gets hacked, the data gets corrupted, it becomes that server becomes a honeypot of data. And so Target happens. And so Home Depot happens and credit cards get lost and stolen and resold on the dark web and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So those central servers that hold private data become a 
a big vulnerability in a central server model. Mm -hmm. what, what a true public blockchain like Bitcoin does is it takes that central server out of the equation and says, we don't have that central server anymore. So now we're going to have peer-to-peer -peer direct communication on this network. Mm -hmm. And the transactions or the, the transmission of data on that network gets validated by all the other actors on the network. So we don't have a central server that becomes a hub and spoke mm -hmm. type of relationship. We've got a mesh type of relationship. And so I send data directly to you. There's no central server. I get to verify you, it. I you verify it. it. Everybody else who's part of that network verifies that. And we all and record so, it. And so you get these confirmations. You get this consensus theory mm -hmm. that says, okay, that was a valid transmission of data. That data is not corrupt. And so you've, in order to incentivize the participants on that network mm -hmm. to expend energy to validate those transactions, you have, in my mind, you have to have a, a currency layer on top of that mm -hmm. because there, there has to be some kind of financial incentive for me as a participant in this network to be able to, to be willing to expend energy, electricity, computing power to validate the transactions that you send to some other third party. Otherwise, mm -hmm. why do I care? Right. But if, so if there's a, if there's a, um, a way that I can be compensated for the energy I expend on that network, mm -hmm. then I'm willing to do that. So it's, an econ it's, it's own economy. It creates its own economy. It's a global economy. There's no central regulator involved in right. this. And there's no central choke point. If, for example, I'm a bad actor on this network and I start trying to um, validate invalid transactions, because of the consensus model that's required, to, you have to have an X number of validations mm -hmm. before that's a confirmed transaction. If I'm confirming invalid transactions, then the network will not recognize my activity and it's going to get dropped. It basically kind of cuts me out until mm -hmm. I get it figured out. So that's that's the that's the way I kind of try to mm -hmm. look look at blockchain mm -hmm. technology and what I think that provides for industry which I I really think becomes the new the new world of the internet mm -hmm. is instead of having these central servers that become a a point of fragility, you now have this very anti-fragile type network effect mm -hmm. that we can now operate without the Google servers, the AWS servers mm -hmm. that are out there. Well, and it creates, I mean, the impact of this can hit every industry. Oh, sure. I mean, it could help, you know, medical records. It helps with accounting. It helps with, you know, all these things. It's very interesting to me to read about potentials of blockchain and accounting. Like, basically what it does is it creates debits and credits. Like, we don't need to do that anymore. Um, or we wouldn't need to do that anymore. It would just be a verification of, you know, making sure that all works. I've been reading about how that's going to change the audit industry. The audit industry, the accounting industry, the financial industries, potentially the legal industry, title transfer, title holding. And part of the reason why that's true is in a central server model, if, if there's something in the middle mm -hmm. that has to be, that's where all the data is kept, all the data integrity rests in that central server. Mm -hmm. In a blockchain model, there is a progression of transactions that takes place over time. And so these data transmissions blocks. or these, the, you get these blocks that get created. And so as a result in a public, which is a critical, in, critical distinction here, mm -hmm. but in a public decentralized open ledger, um, it's a it's an immutable, irreversible mm -hmm. type of series of transactions. You can't ever go back and say you can't, nobody can go back into the blockchain and mess with the data right. because 
you, you can't unravel the chain because you, you would have to unravel the blockchain faster than all the rest of the computing power is building that chain on a go-forward basis. So for somebody to go back and mess with the data, corrupt the data in the blockchain, they would have to be able to have a computer that can operate faster than all the other thousands and thousands of computers that are operating to validate and lengthen that chain going forward. So you now have this immutable string of data. And so if you've got the ability to audit that data, mm -hmm. then things like Enron and Tyco and WorldCom, they can't happen anymore. You can't have, you can't have these big book cooking mm -hmm. type of um, scandals because you can't go back. You, you, there's no eraser that can right. go back and modify the data. If you've got a central server, sure, you've got big, billion, you know, multi-billion dollar companies like Amazon and Google that, that maintain those servers. Mm -hmm. But what happens if somebody is good enough to corrupt either the decision makers at Amazon or Google mm -hmm. or whatever? You've got this central weak link. Right. You don't have that in a blockchain type model. It's really interesting. So it's, I, mean, I really think that we're talking about the next iteration of the internet. Um, we are, it's it's almost become trite to say, but this is like the internet in 1996. Um, this, this technology is, it's nascent technology. It's, it's, it's first proven use case mm -hmm. is Bitcoin, um, but it will very soon be expanding into a whole other host of, of industries. Some of the really interesting developments right now in blockchain technology uh, deal with supply chain management. Mm -hmm. There's a company, there's a there's a, a blockchain project up in Wyoming called Beef Chain. And um, ranchers in Wyoming are embedding, I think they're RFID chips, in cattle. And they're able to track the cattle to... That's the cow example I was looking for. There you go, there you go. <laughs> I was like, I know this is an example with cows. This is it. That was the one. So it's, it's beefchain.io is the website for the project. And so ranchers are, are able to now track their cattle via the blockchain to the the fields that they grazed on, the feed that they were given, all the way from pasture to grocery store, basically, for people who so really care about me. the provenance of their beef. And so it's it's now starting to prove out this the validity of, of tracking supply chain. Um, there's a group in Pueblo through CU Pueblo that's doing this in the cannabis industry. And now they're they're attaching RFID chips to marijuana plants, so they can go from so they can, they the can go from seed to sale on the chain. Um, there's another company here in Denver that's doing something around um, it has to do with supply chain, but they're basically tracking space junk, so they can actually um, help decommission all this clutter from satellites that have been decommissioned or broken down in space, and they can actually start to kind of move those things out of Earth's orbit. It's just really interesting stuff that people are doing here. I was reading about, um, a, there's a county or whatever in India where they've used it for, or they've created blockchain for the um, asset sales or for land mm, sales. Because people, because people were going in and basically just saying, oh, hey, I own this land. And they were just for, like forging documents. Mm -hmm. So they had a huge issue with that. So they've implemented blockchain so that there's no forging of asset. Yeah, you create ownership. that immutable asset trail. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. And that, that really kind of speaks, again, to the global nature of what this is. Because I think we have a tendency 
to to view the world. That's it's just human nature. We have mm -hmm. the tendency to view the world through our Western lens, mm -hmm. um, and we, you know, all things being equal, we've got a very stable government. We've got a predictable democracy and this kind of stuff, at least for now. Um, for today, <laughs> but. You know, in a lot of other countries, they don't enjoy the kind of predictability, the, the civil rights that we've got, mm -hmm. the property rights that we've got. And so you look at countries like Venezuela, you look at countries like Argentina that mm -hmm. have had rapid devaluation of the currency. Um, a lot of their citizens are looking for other more stable currency solutions mm -hmm. that can't be confiscated. I mean, even your U.S. dollars in Venezuela can be confiscated, but your Bitcoin can't be. So cryptocurrency creates a solution in, in countries with a very unstable monetary system, but for but also in countries where the government could just easily confiscate the land and seize your title or seize your assets, mm -hmm. um, especially because they control the registry. Mm -hmm. Blockchain takes that control out of the hands of the government and puts that in the hands of a peer-to-peer -peer network, um, kind of... Um, it provides a, again, immutability. It decentralizes everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dubai is on record of, of wanting to create the first blockchain, completely blockchain dependent um, city in the world. Dubai is amazing too. Yeah, they are, but they're moving all their property records, all their mm -hmm. utility records, all their governmental records to the blockchain. To the chain. Driving records, criminal records, all this other kind of stuff that requires um, integrity of data, mm -hmm. blockchain can create a really interesting solution for that. That's really, really interesting. So Wyoming has done some really interesting legislation um, just in just this year mm -hmm. on blockchain, kind of creating a, a regulatory environment, a legislative environment to how to manage blockchain type projects and how cryptocurrency fits in at the state level. Um, Colorado is now doing something very similar and um, I'm on the governor's blockchain council, where we sit around and we talk about from a regulatory perspective, from a legislative perspective, how should Colorado address things like cryptocurrency, like securities tokens? Mm -hmm. Should these be regulated like securities or are they something different? Um, and then how do, we, how do we create an environment in Colorado that at the same time allows blockchain projects and blockchain entrepreneurs to thrive in this very vibrant environment while at the same time protecting the consumer. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we, I think we're very fortunate right now, in Colorado at least, to have a, a legislature and a governor who are very receptive and very forward thinking. Um, very progressive. Uh, yeah, I, you know, and Colorado, Denver specifically is kind of becoming the Silicon Valley of blockchain. That's really it's, cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. There's some great companies here that are really innovating in the space. It always, it's interesting to me that Wyoming is on the forefront of some of this stuff all the time because we just think about like how conservative and red and right. you know, old school they are. And there's nothing up there but tumbleweeds. Yeah, yeah there's a lot. Yeah, there's lots of cows. But you know, a lot of people don't and realize, wind. I think most people don't realize that the limited liability company was invented in Wyoming. Now it's everywhere. Um, <laughs> They're but, everywhere. You can register, for, you can buy one for $800 in some states. Yeah, but um, uh, Wyoming literally invented the limited liability company. It was the first place in the world that created it. And then of course, now all the states have followed. They continue to innovate on privacy protection, tax savings. Awesome. They're just a very forward-thinking progressive state in those, kind of in those ways, kind of a very libertarian type mindset mm -hmm. almost. Um, and, uh, Wyoming just kind of 
accidentally backed into becoming a, a place for, for, for blockchain. There's a, yeah, well, there's a woman named Caitlin Long who was, um, she was a Wall Street veteran of many, many years, and she was a very early adopter to Bitcoin. And she wanted to make a, she grew up in Wyoming. She's a grad from Wyoming. And she wanted to make a charitable contribution of some Bitcoin to her alma mater. And she figured out, well, I can't because there's just these, there are these arcane laws in Wyoming that don't really allow that to happen. So she started, I don't know what the, what the value was that she wanted to give, but she started working with legislators and said, hey, look, I really just want to give some of this stuff to the, the university. What's it going to take to make that happen? Make a terrible contribution here. And so she was able to work with a handful of legislators and the governor. And you take Wyoming's very favorable LLC laws, mm -hmm. Wyoming's very favorable trust laws, and their very favorable tax laws. And now you've got this benefactor who wants to give money but give Bitcoin mm -hmm. to a university, it just kind of created this perfect opportunity for Wyoming to, again, put its stake in the ground as, yeah. as the place, not only for highly private, highly protected LLCs, highly private, highly trusted, highly protected trusts, zero tax environment, and now cryptocurrency and blockchain development. That's really so really it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It. Well, and I love that Colorado is becoming, um, and like the cannabis industry is mm -hmm. huge. Yeah. Um, and we talk about the cannabis, cannabis industry a lot here in Colorado sure. because they can't get banking. Yep. We have, I mean, I can't get them on QuickBooks Online because mm -hmm. they're cannabis adjacent or can, I mean, I have a couple of cannabis adjacent. They mm -hmm. don't even do anything with actual cannabis that can't be, you know, they can't use any of the payment solutions. They can't do anything. So the whole system is ripe for Bitcoin yeah. and for blockchain technologies. Well, that's, and that's, that's one of the tricky points too, though, because, um, you know, as, as a licensed professional, we've got our licenses regulated by the state. Mm -hmm. You know, there are lines we're, we can't cross. Mm -hmm. um, and we certainly don't want to enable people in illicit industries mm -hmm. to, you know, to be able to use blockchain and Bitcoin, that kind of stuff. It's, you know, it's, it's this really difficult spot of how do you regulate the industry? How do you regulate the cryptocurrency? How do you create a regulatory environment for blockchain mm -hmm. projects to grow and thrive? While at the same time, you're not enabling illicit activities. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, this is part of the tension that we're trying to figure out how to, how to manage yeah, here in the state. Really interesting. Yeah. Especially, you know, it's legal here in Colorado. Marijuana right. is hundred percent legal here, you know, for any use. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, people like can't pay their payroll. They can't like, mm -hmm. it's really, really hard to work in the economy. It's still a federally scheduled one. Narcotic. I know. <laughs> yeah. So it's really hard to like be legal here, but not be legal nationally, right. you know, on, on state level. So, it's just been really interesting to watch these businesses and how they do things. Um, yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, and industrial hemp is another interesting use case mm -hmm. for blockchain mm -hmm. and for cryptocurrencies. And, um, you know, industrial hemp is currently regulated the same way that heavy THC marijuana is, mm -hmm. is regulated. But the the THC in, in hemp, as I understand it, is in such small trace amounts, you can't consume enough hemp right. and get anything out of it. CBD, but like CBD is national. Right, CBD. fine. Exactly, right. So um, this is kind of part of the tension. There's this massive industrial hemp movement out there for textiles and ropes and all these other kinds of things and fuels that hemp can be used for. But right now it's still under the umbrella of a cannabinoid that's a Schedule One federally prohibited right. you know, substance. 
But there's now a movement afoot in Congress that will actually delist hemp and kind of carve that out. So at least hopefully in the very near future, mm -hmm. industrial hemp producers and people in the non-THC mm -hmm. world can at least get traditional banking. And yeah, I just find it very interesting. Um, as more states legalize, I just wonder at what point, like how many states have to legalize before. Yeah, I, you know, it's going to take a, it's going to take a. I think a bit of a change in Congress and perhaps at the White House, but I do think I mean, the genie's out of the bottle at this right. point. You know, it's um, it's a multi-billion-dollar industry, and uh, look know, what it's done for Colorado. I mean, we went from middle cost of living to pretty much high cost of living since since it was legalized. Yeah, and I'm not sure how you can I'm not sure how well you can trace the cause the causation yeah, of that. But of um, yeah, certainly certainly some of it's part of it. Um, I, but yeah. I think that at the end of the day, though, it's the kind of thing that I don't know how you can actually undo all of that simply with a fiat signature of a pen right. by the attorney general or by even by the president of the United States. I mean, it's just I think it's really unlikely to happen because I think the backlash would be pretty profound. Um, I'm trying to predict. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. I've been in cannabis industry with like Christine Cook. Yeah. But with blockchain, that'd be huge technology. You're right, from seed to retail. Seed to sale, I and mean, again, you're, you're dealing with any anything that requires, anything that centers around consumer protection and making sure that um, someone is actually buying what they think they're buying, um, that's huge. Um, that would be huge for like pharmacies or like especially like online pharmacies. Pharmaceuticals, pharmacies. auto parts. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it to anything. anything that requires supply chain integrity. Uh, you mentioned auditing and accounting. Again, to be able to have this immutable record mm -hmm. that you know cannot be can't be tampered with. Um, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. It's it is revolutionary technology. Yeah. But I, I find sometimes that trying to explain blockchain as as muddled as I probably made it. <laughs> no, it was um, great. <laughs> it's kind of like trying to explain email to somebody in the 1950s because we're having to use concepts that we we're struggling to find language. They don't for. really even apply. Right. Yeah. Right. It's crazy to me. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of reading on blockchain just because I find it fascinating and I find how it's going to change the accounting industry. Fascinating. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be transformative. I really think that in the next three to five years, um, it, it will have become mainstream by then. And there will be some cryptocurrencies that endure because they're they're instrumental again in incentivizing that network effect. So I think Yeah, I think yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, you just answered like all my questions. Okay, so before I ask my last question, where is where's the easiest what is the easiest way for people to find you? Um well, our website is evergreenlegacyplanning.com. Mm -hmm. Uh you can certainly connect to me on LinkedIn. So that's about the only social media that I do. Um, we'll work on you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I don't like or trust social media. Um, again, I don't. I Matt's, don't, Matt's a little get off my lawn. I yeah, I don't. I don't like the Facebook or the Twitter. The or, Facebook or the Twitter. Yeah, the, the, the twitting. Yeah, because again, they're all decentralized data vacuums, and I just uh, I don't trust what they do with my data. <laughs> I believe that I should own my my uh my social, social profile so it's i think i should have my social graph so. 
<laughs> so I keep it as small as I can. Well, you know, as soon as they bring blockchain into Facebook, we'll get you back. You know, there's an interesting project, speaking of which, oh. called Blockstack, and it is a de decentralized internet. Mm. Um, they, and they've got a Twitter, not really a Twitter equivalent, but they're, they're, try they're trying to create not equivalents to social media, but things that are actually maybe a step better because they know that if they're going to get people from Twitter, then they need you know, they need to make it more attractive. Mm -hmm. so, so just controlling your social graph isn't going to be enough. They just got they got to figure out how to do it. But they you know there are developers who are creating decentralized Twitter like applications, Facebook like applications, Instagram like applications. So instead of using Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, to share pictures of your kid's birthday cake or whatever, um, you where now Instagram and Facebook can compile all that data and they now near your kid's birthday they can now market like crazy to you to your kids to your kids friends and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff it's now in a decentralized environment where there is no central authority it's all again it's all done on a decentralized network that's a really interesting project i'm really, really excited about do you know what doc io is since i have yeah, a have little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know it well though. Somebody invited me, and I was like, okay, and I signed up, but I haven't spent time like looking at what it even is. But yeah, there's. Uh, I'm not super familiar with that, but I do know that there are a lot of other applications like. like it's a Bitcoin. It's a Bitcoin chain or something. Yeah, there's there's one called uh, Storage S T O R J, which is another project that's decentralized file sharing, kind of like Dropbox. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's decentralized. I don't know where they are in the project. Oh, really? Um, write that one down. There's a company. I'm always looking for something like that because I have a hard time sharing stuff, like just yeah. because I'm so have to keep everybody's stuff really, really sure. Really, it's really got to be secure. It's got to be. It's got to be secure. It's got to be private. It's got to be encrypted. And we're mm -hmm. the same way as a law firm. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a there's another project that's working on Blockstack to create a equivalent to Google Sheets, Google Docs. You know, so you can so actually awesome. have collaborative file sharing, collaborative document creation but nobody is keeping the data. You keep your data, and as you're interacting on that network, it's just all happening in real time on the, on the network, right? So those are all very much in, in early, early stage development. But, and, and I, I suspect it's that gonna just- It's gonna change a, how we collaborate. I think it will, I think it will. Um, so it's, it's gonna be really interesting to, to see how that all shakes out. I think like anything else, 80% or 90% of them are gonna fail um, but so we'll just wait. We'll but wait some, a little bit. But some will succeed, and so that's really, really interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. I yeah. like to early adapt, and I, I love technology, and I love to early adapt on stuff like that. So I've got a whole list of stuff that you should read. And, <laughs> yeah. Okay, Matt, we're gonna have some whiskey and discuss blockchain again cool. later. We'll do it. We'll start on a little Bitcoin book club. <laughs> there you go. We should do that. All right, final question. What is the one thing every person needs to do in terms of terms of estate planning? Oh man. Um, just one thing. One thing, create and fund a living trust. Um, that is the cornerstone on which any successful plan is built. Um, you know, I, I think if you, if you do that, you're gonna have 80% of your stuff covered at that point, but it's, it's not just creating it it's funding it. Yeah, it's really funny. You got and by that, I mean you got to transfer your stuff. Mm -hmm. Your house title needs to be owned by the name of your trust. Your bank accounts, your life insurance, your investment accounts all need to properly point to that trust because if they don't, you could go to all this trouble of designing a trust. Mm 
mm-hmm. and your stuff still goes through probate or goes to somebody that you didn't intend or goes outright to your kids and you wanted to have it protected in trust. So create the trust and fund it. Okay. Yeah. Check all the boxes on it. Yeah. Basic blocking tack blocking and tackling. And I guess the other the other bit of wisdom I give on there is don't just do it and put it on the shelf. Um, an estate plan, like a financial plan, a like tax a tax plan. plan they're living, they're, um, they're living, moving, breathing documents. They're, yeah, they're dynamic because, I mean, if you just think about it, um, your estate plan has to matter. There's one day where it becomes really critical. Mm-hmm. One day. Um, and if if it works on that one day, then you've won. Mm-hmm. But the problem is you don't know when that one day is going to be or right. what the tax law is going to be, mm-hmm. what your assets are going to be, what your kids or your spouse's situation is going to be. And so... If you, if you think you've got this perfect crystal ball that um, you can predict the future with, um, you can set up this plan and put it in motion and forget about it. But I don't have that crystal ball. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we are working with clients on their plan like that, we really try to emphasize that you know, this is a really great starting point, but you have to understand that this is the, this is the journey of a thousand miles that begins with a single step. Right. This is a single step. But we've got to keep moving forward changing it. The law is going to change. Colorado just enacted a new trust code that goes into effect January 1 of 2019. It's going to change how every trust, it should change anyway, how every trust is drafted. Um, And the impact is going to be profound. Um, So they have to be redrafted? Yeah, they they at least need to be modified. Mm -hmm. So the law is going to change at the state level. The law is going to change at the federal level. The tax laws are going to change. The asset protection laws are going to change. Kids are going to grow up and be knuckleheads. Other kids are going to grow up and be awesome. You know, stuff is just going to happen. And hopefully, I'll be a better lawyer in five years than I am right now. Right. Which means that I don't know what I don't know right now. Mm -hmm. But five years down the line, I might be able to come back and say, you know what? I just have figured out this other way that we ought to address this. It's going to make a big impact on your family. I need to have an opportunity to go back and do that. Right. So it's got to be a dynamic thing that can adjust for for changing circumstances. Same thing is true with a tax plan. Same thing is true with a financial plan. I know. I tell people all the time, like, this is our starting point. Yeah. If anything changes in the next couple months, let's update the thing. And then the carpet's got to get vacuumed. Right. You you don't just lay carpet in the house (laughs) and you just say, okay, got carpet in. 15 years later, yeah, still have the carpet in. That stuff's got to get vacuumed. Right. People are going to puke on the carpet. Yeah. You got to clean it up. So, you know, it's just like anything else. Yeah. People, you know, people Cars say, maintenance. yeah, oh, I got my estate plan done. Great. It's a good starting place, but you got to keep it going. When are you available in about six months from now? <laughs> Let's talk. <laughs> right? Yeah. What has changed from now to then? Oh, well, I had another kid and I did a thing. Sure. And, yeah. I mean, I have people sometimes who are just like, everything is the same. And I'm like, that's impossible. Not, not likely. Yeah. Not likely. You know, did you buy a new car? You buy, you open up a new bank account? Do you take new life insurance? Change employers? Yeah, I mean, benefits plans? Are I they mean, still? Even that, like you're a W-2 employee and the wage and holding tables changed yeah. dramatically this year. So yeah. it's not the same. That's right. Yeah. And it won't be the same. Yeah, it, it won't be. And, and people don't like spending money on that stuff. And I, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the cost, the cost of not doing it, in my mind anyway, far outweighs the the cost well, of the doing consequences it. Yeah. of things going through probate. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's just, it's a hassle. Probate's a hassle. Guardianship's a hassle. It's expensive. It's time consuming. It's public. You have to wear a suit. I mean, it's just. <laughs> Which we don't do. No. We don't do suits. <laughs> no. Um, so 
it's just, and you know, and you're stuck to somebody else's timeline. Mm -hmm. You're stuck to the court's timeline. You're stuck to opposing parties. If you have an opposing party. And if you can, if you can take all that stuff away and you can let the family kind of sort things out privately and predictably with a really clean plan that actually represents what you want, what you want to happen, then the family's going to be a lot more at peace, have a lot more success, probably save quite a bit of money in legal fees down the road, probably pay, save some taxes. So it's just, um, it's just, sometimes it just, it's, it sucks being a grown up. Right. But this is what grown-ups have to do. Yeah, it's really interesting to me. So I'm the executor of like all the wills. I just I have a stack of wills somewhere because everybody just hands them to me. I think we've had this Lucky. conversation. And I'm like, could you all make living trusts for me, please? Yeah. So that I don't have to make these choices. And yeah. these well, decisions. so at least you don't have to go hire uh, you know, a probate lawyer right. to go have it admitted to probate in whatever county the, the decedent lives in when they died. Can we just do this? at the coffee table right. as opposed to at the court in front of a dude in a robe. You I know, just it's... actually always laugh at my mom. I'm like, why me? And she goes, because you would actually hesitate to pull the plug on me. Your brother would just pull it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I won't hesitate that long. She's like, I know, but I just need somebody to actually like. <laughs> but you might wait just a second or two longer <laughs> than him. <laughs> that's hilarious to me. I was like, okay, I guess that's about all the reason to pick me. <laughs> Well, thank you so yeah, much it's for been, being it's been fun. here. Yeah, We're it's been to fun. have you again to yeah. talk about more things to blow people's mind about yeah. emerging technologies. It's cool stuff. Um, yeah, just I geek out on the stuff. I find it really interesting. Um, and I could either be the dumbest man alive or this could be something that's transformative. So <laughs> and the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. I, I'm going with probably <laughs> option two based on what I'm, what I'm watching come through. Yeah, it's just, cool. Just even in my CPE and stuff. There's just... CPE is tying into this, continuing legal education is tying into this. I mean, it's, you know, you can't, you can't go a, a day without new meetups around the country starting up on this. The Colorado Front Range is full of meetups. Um, people are just talking about this stuff. Sometimes they're, you know, some of the meetups are focusing on the investing side of it. Uh, others are focusing on kind of the disruptive blockchain technology absent the cryptocurrency part of it. Some of it's more holistic than that. Some of it's are kind of the Bitcoin maximalists, which is kind of where I fit into mm -hmm. the equation. Um, so there's just, there's just all kinds of opportunities to learn from peers in a live collaborative setting. But there's a zillion podcasts, there's a zillion books, mm -hmm. there's a zillion documentaries that are free on YouTube that you can watch. So it's just great stuff. It is great stuff. I find it fascinating yep. too. Yep. I'm glad to know that they're work house because I was like, there is something about cows and <laughs> beef chain topic <laughs> i was like i just remember pictures of cows <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and crusty dudes and cowboy hats and just you know branding their cattle and it's they look for all the world like the ranchers of the 1900s but they're but they're, they're on the cutting edge of this technology they're putting that beef on the blockchain that's really really interesting that's cool fascinating well thank you for coming yeah thanks for having me it's been fun <laughs> awesome good i'm glad you had fun yeah Hey y'all, thanks for listening. If you found this podcast to be inspiring, helpful, and entertaining, please like and subscribe. This helps us grow the community and reach more people. If you are interested in learning more about this episode's guest or accessing any of the books or other resources mentioned in this episode, be sure to check out the description box below. 
Until next time, be abundant.